Hey, it's Ronnie Gibson again. This is Short Life Advice, episode number 29. Today I have with me... John Vanderveen, product design lead at Cardinal Health. Veen, what's going on, man? What's up, brother? How you doing? Doing well. Can't complain. That's Weather's kind of crappy here in Chicago. A lot of rain this week, but we haven't had rain in a while, so... Yeah, it's been like that here, too, but, you know, I don't mind the the fall kind of uh, stay in, watch a good movie or show uh, type of weather, so I'm rolling with it. Oh, God, yeah. So when it comes to weather, what what is your opinion? Now, we just continue. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> so, Veen, just to give people some background, uh, I met Veen back at Purdue University. Veen was... Uh, a student at Purdue University, we, we were uh, in different fraternities and met through uh, other friends and, and uh, that's how we kind of met back then and then we've stayed pretty close friends since then and um, there's, I felt your story with, uh, with your education and, and the different types of jobs that you've had throughout your career since college is very interesting and uh i think um there's a lot to talk about here especially with uh, product design and and some creativity that comes with it so if you don't mind go through you have a very interesting um educational background and and career background could you go give some people some insight onto a some of that yeah i'd love to um yeah so like ronnie said uh we met at purdue at the time i was like many young men who didn't know exactly what they wanted to do and didn't take it that seriously kind of felt like everything would work out uh in the long run so ended up just taking a i, I dabbled a bit in some design courses and realized that it was going to be a lot more work than partying so i kind of took the easy route and did uh retail management degree nothing wrong with that i think it was actually a great degree i learned a lot and i was pretty interested in some of it but it wasn't truly what i should have done um, so i took a job after graduating at enterprise rent-a-car in the management program which was always a fun <laughs> joke uh, after stepbrothers made light of it uh you know they give you the tools you need to be your own boss as will <laughs> ferrell said <laughs> we always had fun with that one but you know it was, it was pretty quick that i realized uh it wasn't for me you know i think at first i was decent at the sales part but then i realized i was only good at it when i believed in it and i kind of stopped believing in some of the products that i had to sell um, and I also just, you know, any free time I'd have, I'd be doing some drawing or sketching and thought, you know, why didn't I really stick to that when I was at Purdue? So at the time I was living in Columbus, Ohio, uh, which had one of the kind of better programs for industrial design at the time. And I applied and I got in. Um, if you don't know, if you're listening and you don't know what industrial design is, it is Basically, anything that's mass produced uh, needs designed at some point. A lot of stuff used to be just kind of engineer uh, driven, but with people's tastes evolving and getting more particular, uh, designers became more important to that process. So your iPhone, your toaster, your car, uh, furniture, anything that you kind of use on a 
daily basis is going to be probably done by an industrial designer. Thanks. So, oh, oh, were you saying something wrong? <laughs> I was saying thanks for that clarification for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, it's it's been something I've had to kind of learn an elevator pitch for because you go to Thanksgiving dinner and say I'm an industrial designer and people say, so you, you're an architect for factories or what? No, no that's not right. Um, so happened to be, you know, near OSU, which was a good program. So I ended up doing that. And I worked in that industry for several years uh, at a couple different jobs and, you know, did anything from an inventor with 10 extra grand to spend wants to try to get a product up, up off the ground or do a Kickstarter or, you know, all the way up to Dell wants a new gaming laptop. So what is that going to look like? And we would do the design for that. Um, really fun stuff in between. Some of the most fun things I worked on were like dog toys and, you know, you hear about user testing, right? Well, we are users who are dogs. So we literally would 3D print dog toys and see if the users like them, which was really cool. Um, <laughs> what's that? I was just saying that's sweet. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, but, you know, kind of where I got into my next path was industrial design uh, is what used to take a team of six to do with the kind of development and perfection and evolution of software is kind of done by one or two people now. So the industry is really shrinking and, you know, a lot of physical problems have been solved. There's still plenty, but uh, I was noticing that there were a lot of problems electronically that needed solved. You know, not everyone needs a dog toy to be made, but most businesses will need some kind of web presence or application or logistical thing that needs some help in design. Um, so I went into user experience design from there and that's what I've been doing ever since. I've, I've worked at a few different jobs, uh, but in between that, you know, kind of halfway in there, I, I did a program at Carnegie Mellon for integrated innovation. Um, and what that was, was a program that was co-established by it, business engineering and design and recruiting from those same groups of students or practitioners. And you kind of, if you're a designer, you learn more about business and engineering and you help those folks in your cohort. Uh, and kind of vice versa. So I did a an intensive nine month masters there, and I've been in Columbus, Ohio, doing kind of UX design and strategy and innovation work ever since. Mm. And you you actually you came from you're from California, right? Uh, no, I'm actually I'm from all over. Um, mm. Born in Michigan, but lived in Portland, Oregon. So that's the West Coast. Oh, okay. Um, you're okay. thinking of, but lived there till I was 12, then to Pittsburgh. I've also lived in Chicago, LA, Austin, Texas, Columbus, and Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> All over the place. Oh, yeah. There's what, what made you, because I feel like a lot of people like graduate college, get their bachelor's degree, and then, um, then they just kind of, my route kind of started similar to yours, where I I uh, joined another management uh, trainee sales sales program through Menards and started up mm -hmm. through there and in a similar similar type of startup and then contemplated going back to school but ended up not doing it. Like what what triggered it for you ultimately? Was it just um, you know you you knew you couldn't get there through just 
trying to, you know, find real workforce, you know, jobs to where you could learn it when you get on the job, the actual job, because that's kind of how, um, you know, I did, I found logistics and then just kind of mm-hmm. developed through there. You know, I didn't really go to school for it. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, um, it was, it was the realization that what I should have been doing was so, you know, markedly different from what I was doing and what I was trained in. That was part of it where it really is difficult to become a designer, especially industrial designer without a formal education in it. And a lot of, a lot of what's built into that formal education is connections, right? So you have your department heads and your professors who are kind of know the people who are looking for interns and that's a, a feeder to those. Um, so it really becomes difficult to get into such a different field without that background. Um, so that was kind of my mindset and it, it actually, it's, it really came down. The catalyst was a conversation I had and it was with, uh, my girlfriend at the time's dad, who he's not a designer at all. He's a, like a federal judge or he was, he might be retired now. Um, but you know, I was talking with him and I said, I'm not that happy at my job and I'm looking at, I was actually, I looked at a, a logistics job I remember, marketing or, you know, what can I try to try to sidestep into? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what do you really want to do? And I said, I really want to be a designer. And he said, well, so do it. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's going to cost a lot of money to go back to school. Plus I'm already graduated and older than the, the rest of the, you know, peers would be. Mm-hmm. And he said, he basically said, so what, do it. And he just kept pushing me. He's like, do it. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to regret it. And in many ways, you know, that's the most important conversation I ever had. Uh, because, you know, perspective now, like seeing what he was trying to tell me, it's like, yeah, I was, I was still so young. I felt older, but I wasn't. Um, you know, I needed, if I really wanted to pursue what I kind of knew I should have done, uh, I just had to to take it, uh, take that opportunity. And then also, you know, it led to, I ended up not <laughs> marrying his daughter, <laughs> which I think, I think everyone's fine with in this scenario. Um, but I ended up meeting my wife at school. So, you know, in so many ways, that was just such an important conversation. I even wrote him a letter years later to thank him, uh, you know, after, after me and his daughter had broken up and I was with my now wife and you know, it wasn't like trying to rekindle anything. It was just, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I sure. I was just me. so grateful. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't, Natalie, if you're listening, I, I swear. <laughs> man, that's incredible, man. What do, you, what do you say when you send him that letter? It was I mean, that's an incredible story. You know, I never got a response back, and I wondered mm-hmm. if he had gotten it or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he got it and just felt a little awkward because I had dated his daughter. But I hope, yeah. you know. I didn't need a response back. I just hope he got it and he appreciated how uh, meaningful that was to me. I think, you know, knowing him um, and the kind of, he had a pretty awesome story himself, I'm sure. He's had a, more than one conversation like that in his life that's helped people out. So mm. there's it probably wasn't as important for him as for me, right? Yeah. See, people don't realize how much impact you can make by a simple, uh, my twin brother, I think you might know him, Randy. He he recently wrote an article. I think I've met him. Yeah, <laughs> he recently wrote a an article and linked to uh, a story about smiling 
at people and you don't know how much that can change a life. And it, this girl who got smiled out, who, you know, had a, who was going through a lot of things in her life, how much impact that helped her and leapfrog yeah. uh, having a better life. And, you know, I've read some other stories like that where you have just a simple conversation or you just, you say yes to something and, and take a leap from a suggestion or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, it's just crazy just the impact yeah. you can make by doing simple things like that, just giving some just good advice to a lot of people and or yeah. smiling at someone. Uh, giving yeah, I, in that same vein, you know, I see a lot of people like saying how much a compliment like affects someone's day. And I try to do that. Sometimes I just, you know, I feel awkward, like, <laughs> or I don't want to be like creepy or something, but I do try to if I'd notice something on, you know, someone's clothing or something, their hair I like, I'll try to try to do that too. Cause it is, it's true. Like it can really make a difference. You don't know what someone's going, going through and what they need. Right. Yeah. I read something recently. Someone said, be the first one to say hi or, or compliment someone. Always be the first, try to be the first one to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good way to lead your way through life. Yeah, Totally. So going through a lot of these changes in your career and your education and your life, you had to go through some failures. That's what came to mind. You know, it seemed like maybe at the time, you know, you, you went through an entire four, four and a half years at Purdue, I believe it was, and you mm -hmm. know, and then went to Enterprise. And was that your worst failure at the time? You know, the question I like to ask is like, at the time, you did you have a failure that you thought was the end of the world? And then looking back on it, you thought, damn, that was, you know, that changed me a lot and allowed me to leapfrog my career or personal life. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, man, I've, you know, it's, it's, how do you frame it, right? Do you call it a failure? Do you call it a learning experience and, and all that? I think it's fine to call it failure as long as you um, understand that that's, that's also learning, right? Um, and you have that connotation, but but in the way that you ask that, yeah, it's it's innumerable how many times like something has stressed me out or I felt like I failed, um, and it really kind of worked out for the better in the long run. I think, yeah, you know, Purdue wasn't wasn't a great choice for me as far as at least the major I chose, um, but a lot of those, you know, kind of led to, you know, it's like you could trace it back. I. I started dating a girl because I was at Purdue and I moved to Columbus and uh, with that girl and all that. And I, I talked to her dad and, you know, all those things kind of led me to where I am as far as my personal life and the career that I ended up getting into. So it's hard to look at them as failures, but I think, you know, going down that path wasn't wasn't the best, most straightforward path to my now career. Right. Um, but there's there's just innumerable things. I mean, I can't even begin to count the amount of interviews I didn't get or interviews I got and never heard back or or jobs that I didn't get. Um, it's it's a really common thing in design. You really have to put yourself out there and you don't get most of the jobs. But, um, you know, one of the, the interesting failures, I think, was uh, when I was working at Springboks in Austin, it wasn't exactly a failure, but more of a learning opportunity where I was put on a project and it was for kind of 
individual IRA, uh, a company that does those. So I, you know, I was getting my, my chops in UX and I wanted to make something really cool and really interesting and fun. Um, so I was, you know, asking, can I do this and that? Here's my prototype. What do you think? And the leader of the project was like, no, just go ahead and do like a simple accordion setup. And I got really frustrated. I thought, well, you know, what, why would you even hire me to do this? You could have like any intern or not even designer, just like take that out of uh, best practices catalog and put it in. And then, you know, I kind of voiced my opinion about it. And what I found out was, you know, look, we've tried things like that with clients, like exactly like these before, and their users are 30, 40 years older than you. Um, they're not going to want this custom cool animation, this, this sleek design. They're not going to be able to use it as easily. Um, so I thought that was a really cool learning experience. It was kind of a failure, but it really showed me, you know, I'm not the user. Um, I have to think about the user when I'm designing. And, and I think you can apply that to a lot of scenarios, right? Where you tend to think the way you think and project that onto others, even if it's like a relationship or any kind of conversation you could have. But what you really need to do is try to understand them, try to understand their point of view and approach it in that way. Yeah, and that's that's huge when it comes to your field and you know a lot of the digital field of I think a lot of people miss just listening to my brother who's in digital e-commerce and uh, just understanding the customer is one of the most important ways to Mm -hmm. to really understand what they truly want and what you need to um, maybe edit digitally on a website or or a product. And uh, a lot of times we're so self-consumed, we just we can't see past our own perspective and uh, that usually, that blinds us in a lot of ways, especially on, I'm sure largely in your field and, and a lot of digital fields of, uh, you know, web services and ways you're trying to market to people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's like, it has broad uh, applications to, you know, it, you just have to kind of, figure out where that mentality can exist either in your field or like I said, your personal life. Like, you know, if you're in an argument with your partner because you were washing your car and it took two hours or something like that. Um, and they're upset. It's like, well, the car was dirty or you were washing their car. Maybe and they don't appreciate, you don't think they appreciate it, but really you kind of find out why are they upset about this? Oh, they wanted to watch a movie with you and spend time together. Or, you know, how do you kind of go beyond, your perspective, to put yourself in their shoes, ask the right questions, bring that out of them so you know, okay, that, you know, now I feel like that that was fair of them to react that way. And I, next time I'll ask uh, if, if I should do it later or, or however that works. So I think it's been, I really think I learned a lot about just being a human being by learning a lot about design. Mm. No, I love that. It's, uh, I talk about it all the time. It, you know, it's very important even in sales and, and everyday life, like you said, just our simple everyday relation, relationship interactions with loved ones. And all the time, it's most of the time, it's just a, a misinterpretation of needs, usually, of, you know, of the other person. And, uh, totally. And then it turns into a little, you know, uh, argument or, 
or disagreement that we take personally because it uh, damages our ego and then uh yep. you know <laughs> <laughs> totally uh, so true. Uh, yeah let's see here i'm gonna revert real quick to a fun question then we can get back to some more serious stuff what was the cool. first concert you've ever been to me this one i should have told you don't ask about this <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so embarrassing uh the first concert I went to was Good Charlotte. <laughs> Good Charlotte jams. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I was like, I was older than most people's first concert, I think. I was probably like 13 or 14, something like that. Nice. I mean, Good Charlotte. Let's get, what's their... Um... They got the anthem. Oh, yeah, the uh, anthem, yeah. That's their big one. Yeah. <laughs> Jam some Good Charlotte. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you do intro or exit music, but maybe that's a good call for it. Yeah, I'll throw in some good Charlotte to exit, exit out. <laughs> Perfect. So I wanted to get into this. You and I, I mentioned my twin brother has been writing for a while, and you actually uh, joined him on an article about, you know, kind of some of the stuff you were talking about, about getting in the head of um, customers and, and consumers and Mm -hmm. the the articles tiled where where do our best ideas come from and you being a designer uh you have to be really creative day in and day out or attempt to get into that um to access that part of the brain essentially that you know produces creative mm -hmm. thoughts and creative ideas um can you if you can, could you give just like a summary of what you and him kind of said on there? And then I, I got some other questions that I think will be interesting to the listeners. Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, Randy writing all those articles, like working with him on that, I, I realized how big of a, a undertaking that is. So that's pretty impressive that he keeps up with that. Um, you know, that's a big big time uh time suck and he mm -hmm. had he had a lot of good references and stuff he had read uh, he contributed a lot more than i did i think but um yeah the article was really kind of talking about you know where do your ideas come from um and a lot of it was based on what you observe and kind of pay attention to so at least that's that's where my perspective really kind of jived with the article and, and what randy was talking about because you know, I noticed in design school um, something that when you had a, a background, a childhood where you took things apart, put them back together, maybe you kind of worked in the yard and you, you built some things here and there, you develop this vocabulary or database of little uh, mechanical things or little interactions or way things kind of clip together or anything like that. Um, and you notice that the folks like myself and my friend Evan in design school had a lot more of that vocabulary and knowledge than, you know, some, for instance, some students from China who grew up in an apartment and never really had those experiences where we'd say, oh, why don't you use this kind of class for this kind of thing? Or, hey, that kind of reminds me of this mechanism. Um, a lot of students that didn't have that background wouldn't have that vocabulary. So that was kind of in a nutshell, I think, you know, what resonated with me about the article. It's a lot about, you know, where do you, 
how much do you pay attention to the world around you? How do you store it? How do you get better at retrieving it and applying it to other uh, problems? So like if you need to design a solution, do you have access to that? Can you do it quickly? Can you do it efficiently, effectively? Um, or you know, what are some other tricks that you do? Are there times of the day that you know work best for you? Do you go on a walk to kind of clear your head? Um, so it was a lot of that. It's you know, paying attention to your environment, but also paying attention to yourself um, and kind of understanding that the way you you come to ideas the most effectively. Mm -hmm. It's. It's weird. You always hear people talk about or they come up with their best ideas and in, in the shower or taking a walk or, you know, in nature. And a lot of times it's when you're giving your mind and the critical part of your mind a break from thinking about and, and break from the stimulation of mm -hmm. all the all the day to day activities and the distractions. And that's where a lot of times you you have that stillness and you're you're accessing that what people call muse or the, you know the, the 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 consciousness out there where ideas somehow just pop into your consciousness out of nowhere it seems like sometimes mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. a lot of times for me it's um, in meditation and I always want to break my meditation and, and jot down some ideas real quick, but then I don't want to stop my meditation. And so it's, it's weird how ideas just come up out of nowhere. And, uh, I think there's certain ways where you can, um, there's certain things you can do to increase the chances of those ideas to come up. Cause a lot of stuff comes up and I'll, it's just as important to write those down too, because mm -hmm. I can't think of all the time a good ideas came up and then yeah, I didn't jot it down and then you forget about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And like keeping a consistent place where you keep those ideas is important too. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they could be spread out over apps and notebooks like they are with me and I never find them again. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you guys talk about that too. And in, in the article and I'll, I'll put that article in the show note show notes. It's a, uh, it's really good, and you've read this book too, Daniel Kahneman, and um, uh, Learning Fast and Slow, and they just talk about your system one and system two, and system one is essentially your subconscious and then mm -hmm. uh, part of the brain, and then system two is the critical analytical uh, thinking part of it, and then we majority uh, operate in that system one. Uh, every a lot of our external environments is in control of how we think and the ideas that come up and we don't have a lot of control until we uh, access you know our, our system two to come in and actually think about some of those ideas is this emotion is this thought actually should we act on it uh, right. or are we just acting on it uh, subconsciously and letting our emotions get the best of us which which happens a lot right yeah, and I think it's it's interesting to look at it from the perspective, too, of a collective kind of uh, learning or, or not experience, but, you know, when people are claiming to be inventors or they discovered the, you know, they invented the iPhone or something, it's, it's really kind of funny to me because where would they be without the iPod and the phone existing and the cell phone and the telephone and the electricity and 
you kind of go back, right? Like everything's just an incremental improvement. Maybe you you kind of combined a couple things that hadn't been combined before, but to truly have uh, an idea that no one's ever thought of, I don't think happens really anymore. Um, it's just kind of how you package it or how you how you get it to connect with people that really kind of makes a difference, at least in design, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I think you guys talk about it in the article, but a lot of times, you know, and this applies not just in design, in everyday life. Like I always tell people sales is very creative as well. You got to be very creative with the pro mm-hmm. customers and just uh, the type of prospects and leads you go after and the way you attack them. But sure. uh, and, and then same for just your own personal life and the way you try to become uh, a better human being and, and pick up new habits. But a lot of the inputs uh, you guys talked about on the article of like we're essentially consuming our subconscious is going around consuming data and uh, you know and then storing it and most of the time we aren't even aware of that's mm-hmm. happening you know that's essentially I, I forget what that Netflix what's the Netflix um, uh, social media uh, there's a oh. The social experiment or something? Uh, I don't. I don't think that's what it's called. I just watched it not too long, but it's it's a, it's about how basically your phone is in control, and Facebook and all that. Uh, oh, social dilemma. Yeah, social dilemma, and they kind of talk about it about how between our notifications and 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 the colors and the alerts, and it's just it's set up to basically access get into our subconscious to get into it so we don't even know we're doing the things that we're doing responding to it a lot of times if you're if you see yourself mindlessly scrolling down an app and then you don't even realize how you got there you know right Uh, totally so it's just like where i was getting with this is just like the the in the daily input that you intake is very important so if you're consistently watching a certain news channel or news in general where it's a lot of negativity and you could see where that could drive you down a certain avenue that wouldn't be good so if we're continuously inputting a lot of good information um, and beneficial information through read books articles uh, you know YouTube videos uh, mentors you know just listening to other people talk about how they approach certain things like all that stuff is being stored on our subconscious that we can eventually pull out of the muse, out of the consciousness when we are coming up with those ideas. If that all yeah. makes sense there. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I think that's that's dead on. Um, yeah, so it's like how much, how much you grow can sometimes be dependent both on how much you expose yourself to and how conscious you are of it, right? So mm-hmm. kind of like you said, reading, you know, watching TED Talks, going to conferences, talking with mentors, all that stuff. Like, if you're actively listening to it, yeah, that that kind of becomes part of it. Um, and yeah, because really builds up your database and your ability to to use that going forward for sure. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote down. You guys mentioned uh, on that article, seventy two percent of people get creative ideas in the shower, and then uh, one of the quotes was. Thich Nhat Hanh, I, th- I think uh, that's how you pronounce his name. But he says, look into your diet 
stop consuming things that poison us. True with food as with information, and just control your environment. Mm. Is essentially, what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. But uh, it's good, and there's just there's so many like underlying biases that we have that uh, you guys mentioned in there that I enjoy too. Of just like the recency uh, effect bias, mm-hmm. where just our brains retrieve the the most recent data that we've watched. Uh, you see it a lot in news and, and sports of all people remember is what happened last month or the the game before, right? And that's all that the only uh, narrative that they actually spend. They don't remember the 10 years before that or the 15 years before <laughs> right. politics big time, right? Everybody yeah. thinks this is the most polarized uh, uh, election ever, but it like if you read back into, I read Thomas Jefferson's biography. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but it was just, it was way more polarized than it was. So it's just that recency effect and all these other different kinds. Like if you Google biases, there's, I think there's like 135 biases on Wikipedia of just all the things that are affecting us on our subconscious. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think too you know we're biased because we're living through it there's only so much translation even with the best documentation the best writing uh, that can really paint a picture of something that happened to 200 years ago or even 20 years ago um you know when you know when bush was bush gore was happening uh we were alive i don't really i knew it was going on but i was in high school i didn't care about that right like so Mm -hmm. you know being being a guy in his 30s now, I, I'm a lot more uh, interested or aware of what's going on politically. So that kind of adds adds to the bias as well, I think. Just like how, that's part of the recency thing, but also like, you know, firsthand experience as well. But yeah, the biases are, are really crazy. And, you know, I don't even think, I don't even think the most intelligent people on these subjects can prevent them right mm-hmm. in, in themselves it's just it's something we can strive to understand and and hope to understand our own motivations um but i don't know that we'll ever truly get there with 100 percent clarity even about ourselves yeah that's that's a that's definitely a good point it's like we'll never overcome all of them but it's just it's similar to i'm thinking it's similar to mindfulness you know you're never going to be uh, immediately mindful of every single thought that you have, but the better you are at being mindful of some of your thoughts, you can get better and better at it. Similar to the biases that uh, right. that you maybe succumb to, and um, and not only are bad, like it it's an evolutionary creation that we evolved to have because you know it benefits us a lot of the ways. Like our subconscious is doing a lot of that. System one is doing a lot of good work and not having to like think about it (laughs) right (laughs) you don't want to overtax the system (laughs) yeah what uh are there any things you do personally being to get into that uh to access um that um beyond the you know the muse just to like where do i get my best ideas and yeah are there anything in creative ways that you you do like take walks or ride bikes or whatever you know, the, it starts with the most boring answer that you'll probably get. Um, 
but I think it's really important. So I think something different about me than a lot of my peers that I've worked with in the past is I really don't kind of have any assumptions. I do, but it's kind of back to the biases thing, right? Um, if I'm presented with a, a problem, I kind of assume that, that I don't know anything um, because I probably don't. Um, and it it's not easy for me to learn things really quickly, um, but I'm really good at analyzing and digging in and asking questions and kind of trying to find out all the different factors that are influencing this problem or this decision. Um, only then do I feel confident in kind of moving into the more creative part. And for me, it's really like, it's a classic designer answer, but the best way that I work through stuff is just sketching. Um, and I don't necessarily mean making pictures. Uh, it could be sketching words, um, you know, sentences, things like that. Just working my thoughts out of my head onto paper that I can see, making like a flow of what the problem is, representing things uh, that are, are, you know, maybe different stakeholders or different forces at play and really just iterating on that. Um, it's, it's similar, I think, to kind of going on a walk or being in the shower in a way for me because I really do get kind of in a zoned out uh, phase during some of that. So like the beginning is, is more mindful or more purposeful and, uh, you know, kind of, I know exactly what I'm doing, but the more I go through it, the more my sketches kind of degrade into something that's a little more of a, you know, a flow state or stream of consciousness. And that's kind of where I find a lot of my ideas. That's what was coming to my mind is flow state before you yeah. mentioned it there. It's, uh, I mean, just you finding time of, uh, quietness, or even if it's uh, playing music in the background, uh, you're finding time away from distractions and, and, and mm -hmm. focusing on physically trying to think up, you know, actual ideas for a, a certain problem. And uh, yeah. I think going into it, assuming you don't know anything is a great way to attack life in any aspect, not just design. Yeah. <laughs> we should all <laughs> do that because without allowing our our egos to get in the way of thinking we're always right going into it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, I guess a part that I might not have mentioned is really, you know, some calling back to what I talked about before about someone said they invented the iPhone. Well, what I like to do is see how are other people in other industries, other situations, other competitors, even how are they solving this problem and are they doing it well? Um, you know, that's not necessarily saying I'm going to copy someone, but I'm not saying that I wouldn't either if it, I think they really kind of came to the best uh, solution. And, you know, a lot of times that that becomes that analogous thing where if I'm solving a problem in healthcare, you know, what do I what do I look at? Uh, maybe I look at Chase Bank because that's another heavily regulated, highly sensitive data uh, area. Uh, but they, you know, financial industry tends to have a lot more firepower behind making a good experience. So they, they might've blazed some trails before. So I think that's an important step too, is kind of doing your research and knowing what the market or knowing what your competitors or knowing what some analogous uh, solutions are. Mm. No, that's good. And you've, you have, uh, I know you talked a little bit about some of the things you 
you were creating in, in college and in some of your uh, jobs that you've had, but uh, there's a couple cool ones that I've actually seen. Uh, you helped design iFetch. You want to tell people what iFetch is? I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was actually the one I probably talk about the most uh, because it was the most holistic um, part of the experience that I got to be a part of and kind of uh, help help create. But the original iFetch was created by the company I work for um, called Design Edge in Texas. And what it is is a dog gets a tennis ball, drops it into this kind of bowl that has, you know, it feeds it into a launcher. So it launches it across the yard and you can teach the dog how to uh, play fetch with itself, more or less, <laughs> kind of take, take the work off yourself, right? Um, so they, they had made that one, they had made a larger one with like a standard size tennis ball for bigger dogs, and they came to us and said, we don't know what to do now. Uh, so that whole process was really fun because we got to, one, look at the market, look at stri- strategy, not as far as just design, but business, like what, what do they need? Do they need to get into the cat market? Do they need to get in to more kind of technology facing uh, type products or what. And what we kind of realized is maybe they need a more entry level product because what they were selling was $100 or more because it was so complex, had these motors and sensors and things like that. So, you know, we kind of came back and said, here's some ideas uh, that we sketched up and they, they went for one of them. And what it was, was the dog puts it in a bowl, you know, drops the, the or a hopper or whatever you want to call it, drops the ball in there. And then instead of propelling it out, it has three different exit points. And the, the element of surprise is what makes it exciting for the dog because you don't know. It's like a random one. Um, so that was really fun that, you know, that's the one I was talking about. We brought dogs into the office and, and tested it with them when we did a 3D printed prototype. Um, got to do everything from, like I said, strategy to sketching to computer drafting, working with engineers, working with manufacturers, um, designing the packaging, helping with marketing, all that. So it was like really the most complete project I've ever done, kind of led, and it ended up winning a couple awards at like the biggest pet shows, which are a thing apparently. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it was a really good good experience because they they had won awards with both the other toys so it was a really uh exciting experience to be able to help them kind of keep that torch that's a very innovative idea too of just thinking because you put i love the original idea you put a ball in shoot it out but then thinking broadly thinking of what that user really wants you know which is a dog and and having that spontaneity of the three holes that the ball can shoot out at and then the just creating that that's just very that's a very abstract idea that most people wouldn't think of because then because and this one's a little tougher because you you can't even really think in the mind of a what a human would want (laughs) right think of it as a dog so it's like i don't know if that would be something i'd come up with that's a that's very uh that's very innovative there yeah and it you know kind of going back to like what inspires the ideas, that's something where I think designers do really well is they get in a room and they start kind of, you know, it's like jazz, right? You, you serve up a little something, someone kind of riffs off it, 
Um, I remember part of the idea came from my boss, I believe, was like saying, well, what if it's like this long tube that they don't know where it is while it's in it? And we were like, okay, how would that work? Like, what do we do? And it was just all of us kind of trying to come up with good ideas based on that and, you know, adopting the mentality of we're at the stage where there's no bad ideas, so keep keep rolling with it. And that's kind mm-hmm. of where, where it spawned out of, you know, it's it's always a pretty collective effort. It's, it's really, uh, you know, synergy is such a bad word, like such a, a look down upon word. Now it's like <laughs> Comic Sans, but... Um, <laughs> you really do get a better result, um, you know, exponentially better result by putting a couple or a few minds together than you would just on your own because you're drawing from a bunch of different experiences and even the the misunderstanding of someone's idea uh, can be like a really amazing, um, uh, fortunate thing that you kind of get an idea from. Um, There's... Maybe, maybe I'll send you an article for the show notes and not go through the whole story, but there's a really cool story about how uh, a company was facing these icicles on, they, they had power lines, that was their, you know, their power transmission company, mm-hmm. and they had ice on them and they couldn't figure out how to, how to get the ice off. And it kind of came from a joke of someone saying, you know, well, we could put, we could have bears climb it and you know i'll send you the article or, or the little blurb because it's fun to read but uh i won't go through the whole thing yeah i'll add that in there it sounds interesting i mean people i think that's a very undervalued uh thing when it comes to creativity and, and instilling some of that uh, innovative thoughts and it could be very beneficial and and we keep doing this but it, fields outside of uh, design and, and regular life like when you have a you know a personal issue talking through it with it that's what that's why therapy works so well right. at times because you just have someone that's open and, and allowing you to talk it out with them and then uh, yeah. just talking to friends having you know interventions and uh, or whatever it's just like having and if you're on a sales team here you know at Schneider uh, and you have an idea or you want to you have an idea of the way to present to a customer, well, talk it out with some people and then bounce some ideas back from each other. And there's guaranteed going to be some more creative thoughts than you just by yourself, right? Yeah. And I think like you bringing that up reminds me of a couple of things I've learned, uh, really important lessons, kind of design thinking lessons that I could share in specifically for scenarios like that. One thing you learn in design school is do not get married to your idea it you know separate your idea from yourself and if you if someone kind of hates on your idea they don't think you're you have less value right so my first semester in design school was you know we were doing these projects and i kept we were working up to the final project and i kept improving and getting good comments from my instructor and we final project of my very first design school class in front of the whole class, you know, 16 people or whatever, my professor says, wow, you really fell flat. And that really hit me like a ton of bricks because I was so excited, I worked so hard on it. And he was like, yeah, you, you know, you were improving so much, I expected that trajectory to keep going. And this is like barely better than than the previous round, mm. um, which was a great lesson for me because I separated what he was saying from me and kind of you develop a thick skin through really direct feedback like that. Um, 
another part of it is it kind of goes hand in hand with that is share your ideas early. People really have the uh, mindset a lot of times or the disposition to protect their idea. They want to perfect it before uh, sharing it with anyone and getting feedback. But it kind of goes to that fail fast, right? Um, show people first, like get opinions. That way you won't be so attached to it and you'll be able to accept the feedback and you'll learn if someone's already doing it or someone's doing it better or it won't work or maybe it will work and someone has a great idea that they can add to it. So those are challenging things to do uh, as human beings, even with all my experience doing it, it still kind of hurts sometimes, but I would uh, suggest or, or kind of hope that people could try to do that as well. Yeah. I absolutely love that. What I heard in, in some of that is to, you know, very beneficial throughout, all throughout life. But what I heard is not identifying with some of these things, you know, like, like removing your, a lot of times we, we like to self-identify with some of our ideas or, or, yeah. or some of the things we uh, enjoy or follow or, or practice. And I, that's what I was kind of hearing. Just like, don't, that's how you separate the critique uh, uh, from yourself, you know, is by not identifying with that idea. You know, you can actually take that critique and apply it uh, and uh, for actual use. But if we become, if you got offended and, and was so hard on yourself and then you, they would have probably went one ear and out the other and then we want to actually apply it, you know, and I, I think a lot of people do do that. Uh, they, yeah. A lot of us don't take uh, criticism very well, constructive criticism, and we have to like not identify ourselves with uh, some of the, anything that we do, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's good. Good stuff, Beam. What's... I like asking this question, and we can. Uh, it's if you could have a gigantic billboard with anything on it, reach uh, metaphorically millions and millions of people. Would you put on it? Oh man, that's that's a good one. I think the I think the first thing I think of is I had a sticker I got at a conference that said that I put on my laptop that said "Work hard, be nice." Um, I just really like that because it's like, hey, you're here to work, you know, you're going to be better at your job, better for the company, probably happier if you're working harder. But at the same time, it's just as important, if not more, to be nice, right? Um, it's kind of speaks to taking the ego out of things. Um, so I don't know. I think that that could be a good message. Maybe it's not that impactful. But the other thing I, I tend to think about is, you know, and maybe kind of goes along with being nice or things like that. But have you read the book, uh, A Short History of Nearly Everything? Yeah, yeah, that was Bill Bryson, right? Yeah, so that book, I mean, it's a phenomenal book, just end to end, right? But one of the coolest things I think I got out of that book is how lucky we are to be here on Earth as a sentient being, as a human being, like the chances of us living, you know, past, any amount of like any peril that we could face or anything like that and just actually growing to adulthood is so astronomically like improbable uh that it just kind of really appreciate makes me appreciate life in itself and just kind of you know he i think he talks about like even enjoy some of the bad days because they're they're still a gift so i think you know 
I don't I don't resonate as much with like some of the spiritual ways to say that but like the scientific way really hit home for me it's like wow you know just being this combination of atoms in this order allows us to be a, a being with a heartbeat and a in a brain and we're a human and we get to live in a house and wow that's really something special so I don't know how you'd put that all on a billboard but I think those are kind of my my metaphorical versions of a billboard right there yeah, I, I I love that book, and I love I th- I have highlighted that that quote that you're talking about. He he said mm-hmm. he uh, he says it better than probably what we can, but uh, he just talks about that very thing about how uh, crazy it is that we we humans came to surpass like three or four extinctions and somehow Mm -hmm. getting through all of that and then even before that just like single cellular organisms getting to multicellular organisms and then oxygen being able to proliferate in the atmosphere and you know all these things about and then if you want to go to our our lineage between our own species of your dad and mom and then their mom and dad and you know right. all the lucky things and synchronicities that have to happen to us to come into existence so like like you said just be thankful of even the bad days and um, yeah yeah there's a i think i'm pretty sure i sent it to you and randy a couple of years ago but if anyone's listening and wants to hear a really uh kind of beautiful version of that idea there's a song by Jens, that's J-E-N-S, Lakeman, uh, called How We Met, the long version. And it, it's a really cool, uh, you know, it's a little upbeat melody in it, but it talks about these scientific things and how, you know, how we can trace uh, meeting someone all the way back to, like, the beginning of time or the earth or the universe. So check that one out, too. But uh, put that in the, the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a, and I love the work hard, be nice too. It's just very succinct. And mm-hmm. if we could all work a little harder and be a little nice, we'd all, it would improve our own lives most importantly, and plus a lot of other lives as well. Totally. Um, any other books that you uh, enjoy that, uh, or you hand out to people or suggest that uh, other than this Bill Bryson one? I think one, um, just coming from a designer's perspective is uh i think it's called the design man now i'm getting (laughs) the design of everyday things i was getting it mixed up with short history nearly everything um i think it's like don norman but it's not one that i really like had a ton of discoveries for me but it's one that i think really explains why design is important to people that don't have that background and it gives you some cool ways to think through uh, problems. So I, I would say, yeah, the the design of everyday things is one I recommend quite a bit. Yeah, by uh, Don Norman. Yeah. yeah. Sweet, and then uh, we could end it off with this, Veen. What if, if you could give some advice to, you know, someone just graduated college, getting out in the workforce. Uh, What's some advice you would give them? Yeah, I think it's, you know, to the best of that you can figure it out, what what do you want your story to be or what do you want your end point of your story to be? And 
think about you know your career in, in terms like that and say okay so what do I need to do to get there what have other people done to get there um, you know for I, I tell young designers a similar thing like that a lot and I don't know exactly how to work it into other industries but I tell young designers hey if you really like love GoPro and you would that's your dream job is to design a GoPro look up what firm did it and start looking at where those designers you know had their careers or what kind of tools they use and honestly reach out to people like if you have someone you want to emulate chances are you know they might want to be your mentor like if you can just kind of cold call them and say you know i'm really impressed with what you've done i want to hear more would you have 30 minutes to talk about it uh a lot of times simple steps like that lead to you know recurring relationships and people that you can really rely on or turn to and if they don't you know i've had a lot of one-off 30 minute or hour conversations that have changed the way i think um, so i would really encourage that you know reach out to people don't be shy about it see how they did it um, and you know think of what story you want to tell start at the end and see what you need to what you need to do now to get there i like it what i took out of that is going through that exercise i think what people are are doing and and what you did early on in your career is is figure out like what is your purpose what is your meaning and uh you know and then and then figure out through um emulating other people, trying to find mentors, uh, reading, uh, and taking that good information that we talked about earlier in the podcast and, and then, uh, and then trying to find the best way to, to get to that point. And I, I remember I, I ran through most of my life all up into my early twenties of not really even thinking about that question. And, uh, it, it was just, if you would ask me that in, in college, back our college cells, uh, drinking Keystone Light back at Purdue, <laughs> I would have uh, like, what do you talk? What do you mean? What's my purpose? Get out of here, you nerd! You know, <laughs> <Or something>. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, but it which though it, important, Ronnie? That's a that's an interesting point though. It's like go easy on yourself if what you care about changes, right? Like you might <laughs> come out of school without a care in the world. You might come out being dead set on being a CEO, and life changes and you know, uh, that's okay too. Like, think about your priorities now and what you know now, and kind of keep changing that story as you go. If you if you feel that's the right move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, your purpose and your meaning could be. I mean, it updates it updates when you have children, and it updates you know when certain things happen in your life, different jobs. So, um, totally should should always be updated and reevaluated on probably a yearly basis on. Yeah. But what is most important to me? What do I want my story to be? Because uh, that does change all the time. Totally. Great, V. Appreciate the time, man. It was a good conversation. Yeah, man. It was good talking with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Take it easy. See ya.